You're listening to Comedy Central. June 11, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Fascinating young man. He's a chef whose new book is called Notes from a Young Black Chef. Kwame Onwochi is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, Russia and China are the new celebrity couple. Ronnie Chang puts plastic straws under arrest, and your Fitbit is trying to kill you. So, <laughs> let's catch up on today's headlines. <laughs> this Saturday was World Oceans Day. It's the day when we let the ocean tsunami any city it likes. It's also the day when we take a moment to acknowledge how much damage we as humans have done to the thing that covers 75% of our planet. And today, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a plan to try and change that. Some good news for the environment. In less than two years, Canada plans to ban many single-use plastics. We're talking about things like straws, Bags, cutlery, no longer. The Canadian Prime Minister making the announcement from the shores of a nature reserve in Quebec. And to be honest, as a dad, it's tough trying to explain this to my kids. How do you explain dead whales washing up on beaches around the world? Their stomachs jam-packed with plastic bags. People around the world are grappling with this every day. Man, white people have to explain a lot of shit to their kids. Oh, because this is not a problem that any African parent has. Yeah. <laughs> when you're an African kid, you're like, Daddy, where are the whales dying? You'd be like, why are the whales? Why don't you mind your own business, huh? <laughs> are you a whale? Huh? Then what is your problem? <laughs> Maybe that whale was too busy asking questions, huh? <laughs> That's how it ended up on that beach. <laughs> Daddy, you can say you just don't know. I don't, are you saying your father doesn't know something? <laughs> you know what I do know? How to beat children. Go fetch my belt. Go fetch my belt. <laughs> but <laughs> Justin Trudeau does have a good point. Single-use plastic is wasteful, man. We gotta find a way to stop using it. And I don't know how exactly I also use the stuff. I mean, I was thinking maybe we can find a way to just carry a knife and fork with us at all times, you know, just like hanging off our belts like a cell phone used to. (laughs) And it won't look weird if we all do it. We could do it together, people. Or how about this? We never use these third fingers, yeah? Let's just replace them with utensils, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like a surgery. Now you always have them with you, huh? (laughs) Moving on, the Catholic Church is celebrating Pride Month in the most Catholic Church way possible. USA Today says the Vatican issued an official document rejecting transgender identity. It also called gender change a trend. The document called male and female, he created them, is the Catholic Church's first statement on gender identity. Pope Francis has repeatedly argued that people cannot choose their genders. The Vatican also said that changing norms in gender identity contributes to the destabilization of the family. Yes, that's right. The Catholic Church has released a statement condemning transgender people, saying that it's unnatural, which is disappointing, but it's not surprising. I mean, we all know the church thinks if you're born a girl, you're a girl forever. And if you're born a boy, they're gonna try and you. (laughs) And let's be clear. Let's be clear on this. 
Gender change is not a trend, all right? It's been around for thousands of years. But if it was, why does the church care about it so much? How come the church isn't warning us about other trends? You never hear the Pope saying, it is against God's will to wear supreme. There's only one hype beast and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, and get this, get, get this. Part of the Vatican's rationale is that transgender people go against its belief that God made men and women to reproduce. Which first of all, transgender people can reproduce. And secondly, again, why do you care, right? You don't even let your people reproduce, right? Nuns aren't allowed to have sex, right? Priests can't get little boys pregnant, yeah. Yeah, that's right, two pedophilia jokes, yeah. Yeah, I got away with it the first time, of course I was gonna go back for more, which is the same thing the priest said about touching little boys. Oh, three pedophilia jokes, oh! Oh, you don't like it? Well, you should transfer me to a different parish where I'm probably gonna do the same thing. Four! Oh! All right, I'm done. And finally, some health news. If you're wearing a Fitbit right now, you might wanna get up and walk 10,000 steps away from your TV. New questions about the supposed health benefits of those fitness trackers that millions use. As more Americans make health a priority, many are turning to technology. The fitness tracker has become kind of the obsession. But is that obsession really good for you? Some worry measuring fitness, diet, and sleep could be taking a toll on our mental health. Research found it can make activities that were once enjoyable feel almost like a job. These are really powerful tools for positive change, but they can trigger anxiety or obsessive thoughts and sometimes cause us to go a little bit too far. That's right. Experts say that fitness trackers are making us anxious. And not just because we spend every morning trying to remember where we put it, which is what I do. Yeah, I burn a thousand calories walking around my apartment trying to find the damn thing. <laughs> then I put it on and it's like, okay, time to get your steps in. I'm like, bitch, I need a nap now. <laughs> but this study, this study claims that these fitness apps on our phones can be bad for our mental health. But I mean, if you think about it, every app is bad for your mental health, huh? Tinder is depressing. <laughs> Twitter is toxic. And that phone app is the worst. You can't delete it, it just keeps on ringing. I don't even know what it's for. <laughs> even mental health apps are bad for your mental health. I had a meditation app that was supposed to help me relax, but all it did was stress me out. 10 times a day, it would be like, have you meditated yet? Time to meditate. <laughs> hey, Trevor, don't forget to meditate. Eventually, I was just like, delete the app! <laughs> Whew, so much karma. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story. <laughs> Russia. For decades, the Soviet superpower has been America's number one rival. There was the Cuban Missile Crisis, meddling in the 2016 elections, and on Twitter, they challenged Tom Cruise to an MMA fight, and nobody can figure out why. And just when we thought Russia's antics couldn't get any crazier, a few days ago, they pulled this move on the high seas. We begin this evening with a dangerously close call on the high seas between a Russian destroyer and a U.S. warship. Those ships coming within feet of one another, forcing the Americans to take drastic action to avoid a disastrous collision. This image capturing just how close the ships came to a catastrophic collision. As little as 50 feet, according to the U.S. Navy. This video from the deck of the USS Chancellorsville showing the Russian destroyer was so close, you could see Russian sailors sunbathing on the deck. Sweet Lord. <laughs> Russians are hardcore. You realize these ships are about to crash into each other. American soldiers, soldiers are like, prepare for breach! And the Russian soldiers are like, Dimitri, take off your shirt. <laughs> Let's get suntan before we die, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to meet Jesus' pasty bitch. 
But this is pretty crazy, man. <laughs> this is pretty crazy. A Russian warship basically tried to ram into an American ship in the middle of the ocean. Right? And let's be honest, that had to be on purpose. Right? What other excuse is there? Do you know how big the ocean is? You have to really go out of your way to collide with someone. It's like walking into someone at Ted Cruz's birthday party. There's no one else there. <laughs> you did it on purpose. <laughs> now, the question is, the question is, where would Russia get the balls to play chicken against America in the Pacific? Well, maybe it's because they've got a new and powerful BFF. Just as President Trump was meeting with America's most important allies in Europe, two of America's biggest adversaries were holding court in Moscow. It was a split-screen tailor-made by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Putin hosted Chinese President Xi Jinping. Xi calling Putin his, quote, best and bosom friend, saying he cherished their deep friendship. The two enjoying a leisurely boat ride in St. Petersburg yesterday. That's right. Xi and Putin have gotten so close they're even taking boat rides together. And not just a normal boat ride. Putin even helped Xi recreate that scene from Titanic. He was like, yeah, I'm king of the world! <laughs> no, really, China's taking over the world! <laughs> so it's clear, China and Russia are really hitting it off because you only take a boat ride with someone if you really, really like them or if they're enslaving you. But this is liking. <laughs> oh, and if, if you think Putin giving Xi a boat ride is impressive, wait until you see what Xi gave Putin in return. The leader's visit also includes some panda diplomacy. During their summit, Putin and Xi showed off their friendship with a visit to the Moscow Zoo, where they welcomed two new Chinese pandas, a gift from Xi to Russia. I mean, China likes you. One of the signs of that, you know, a good, good alliance and good feelings <laughs> is to present you with a panda. Russia got two. That's right. China gave not one, but two pandas to Russia, which is huge, yeah because one panda can't make babies. Two pandas also can't, but there's hope. <laughs> and remember, China only gives pandas to countries when they wish to be close allies with them, right? They actually call it panda diplomacy. This is a real thing, panda diplomacy. Not to be confused with panda express diplomacy, <laughs> where I convinced them to let me use the bathroom even though I didn't buy anything. <laughs> and technically, this is interesting, technically China didn't give Russia the pandas, right? The Russians just get to keep the pandas for a few years, yes which, by the way, applies to every panda in the world. Yeah, China owns every single panda at the world. So at some point, they have to go home. And I guess it's because China doesn't want the pandas forgetting their Chinese roots. Imagine if you let a panda stay in New Jersey for too long, huh? <laughs> yeah. Then when the panda gets back to China, it's like, hey, what the f is this bamboo? Hey, how about some gabagool or a nice fettuccine? Marone! <laughs> anyway, I could talk about pandas all day, but the point is, China and Russia are getting super close. And the consequences for America go beyond boat rides and cute bears. While Russia and China continue to strengthen their economic ties, they're also expanding their military cooperation. Chinese troops taking part in massive drills with Russian forces last year. The level of cooperation between Russia and China has not been this high since the mid-1950s. They are combining forces against us. They say Russia and China can coordinate cyber attacks and military moves that can knock U.S. forces off balance. Oh, man, China and Russia teaming up against the United States? I mean, America could probably handle China or Russia, but not both at the same time. Like, imagine if in Rocky IV, Ivan Drago was fighting, and then Jackie Chan jumped in the ring to help him. <laughs> huh? That would be the end of Rocky. It would be done. There'd be no Rocky V, no Rocky Balboa, 
no Rocky Goes to Space, no Rocky and the Sorcerer's Stone, and definitely no Fifty Shades of Rocky. None of those movies. Now, beyond geopolitics, the personal elements of this bromance is probably something that's gonna bug Donald Trump. Because don't forget, he wants to be a part of this club. He loves those dudes. We know how much he admires Putin. He talks all the time about he and Xi Jinping are great friends. <laughs> so to see his two besties make plans without him, that's, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that he's dealing with his feelings in the most mature way. The U.S. President Donald Trump is threatening new tariffs on another $300 billion in Chinese goods. This if President Xi Jinping doesn't meet with him at the upcoming G20 summit. Wow, really, Trump? <laughs> He's gonna put tariffs on China if Xi doesn't hang out with him? <laughs> that is so childish. If you don't come over to my house and play video games, then tariffs. And I get to be player one the whole time. <laughs> And what is it with Trump using tariffs in every legal situation? Have you guys noticed this? In every situation, Trump is using tariffs now, right? Illegal immigration, tariffs on Mexico. Xi Jinping won't have a play date, tariffs on China. Melania won't hold his hand in public, tariffs on Slovakia. <laughs> but Donald, I'm from Slovenia. I don't care, pronounce it anyway, still tariffs. <laughs> so look, it's clear what's happening here. President Trump, you're feeling neglected by President Xi. But instead of lashing out, why not work on your relationship, man? You know, forget tariffs. Maybe talk to Xi. Tell him how you're feeling. And if that doesn't work, try and spice things up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dress up as something you know China's really into. Yeah. <laughs> Who could resist? We'll be right back. My guest tonight is a James Beard award-winning executive chef at Kith and Kin in Washington, D.C. His new memoir is called Notes from a Young Black Chef. Please welcome Kwame Onwachi. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's great to be here. How you doing? Uh, I'm fantastic, man, but congratulations on an amazing book. Thank you. And a really, really fascinating story. Thank you. I mean, you, you've done everything. In your teens, you were in a gang. In your 20s, you sold drugs. Then you graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> you competed on Top Chef. You opened your first restaurant. It tanked. So now you run a successful hotel Don't restaurant. Don't give away the whole book. Awards. I'm no, but that's the thing. It's less about just what happens and more about how it happens. That's what makes your story so fascinating. When you look back at the book... Absolutely. ...and you look at the life you've lived, does it feel real? Because you're only 29. Uh, it's a journey, you know? I, I would say, like, every part of my life has been either extremely difficult or extremely rewarding, and it's yeah. a journey. So, like, you don't really notice it until you put it down on paper. Right. You know, and you read it through, and you, you see it through. You sound like you were quite the terror as a young man like, within the family, you know? Uh, it's pretty bad. You yeah. were pretty bad. Pretty I mean, bad. you were bad enough that your, your mom sent you to Nigeria, where your dad's from, right? Yeah. And you thought you were going there for the summer. Yeah, she told me I was going for a couple weeks. Uh-huh. Um, I quickly learned that that was not the truth. Um, <laughs> how, how did you learn that? Uh, it was September, and school starts 
in September in New York, and I called her. We had to go to this call center, by the way. We had yes. to drive all the way. It's the night in the middle of a village. It wasn't Lagos. Right. And we drive three hours to this call center. Have to wait in line to uh -huh. you know even get uh -huh. on the phone. We get there, and I'm like, so ma, like it's September. When am I coming back home? And she's like, you're not. <laughs> not not until you learn respect. Not until you learn like, respect. Kwame, hello, hello. Because I just uh, dropped the phone. I was so I was so. Crushed. So you hadn't learned respect? No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. How long did it take you to come back to the US? Two years. Wow, that's a long time to not learn respect. Yeah. No, because if my mom like left me in Nigeria and was like, till you learn respect, I'd immediately be like, yes, ma'am, I have learned respect. Can I come <laughs> home now? <laughs> but but you've, you've always had the spirit inside of you where like you, you've pushed for what you wanted to do and you did it two years in Nigeria. It's a, it's a completely different world. And then you come back to the US, mm -hmm. right? And what's interesting is how you tell the story of growing up in a world where you know, you, you, you were lucky enough to go to a private school, but you lived in a place that was basically hood adjacent. Yeah. And you, you got caught up in gang culture. You got, you got mixed up with the wrong group of friends. How did you, like, see your life when you turned, when you just were in a gang? Like, was that something you, like, pre prepared or was it something that just happened to you out of nowhere? It just happened. Um, you know, I talk about it in the book, how I really got into it and I got into a fight. And then after that fight, I was, it was pretty much an initiation into the gang. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I don't think it's something that you plan, you know? Sometimes we're a product of our own environment, which is unfortunate, but also we can get out of that mentality as well. Right. You know, and for me, it was the moment that uh, Barack Obama walked across stage and he became president of the United States. And I didn't think that I would see a black president in my lifetime. I voted for him and everything, but, you know, 55 years ago, we couldn't even eat at the same restaurants as, you know, white people everywhere. Right. And to see that, it was, it showed me that I can do anything I put my mind to. That's really a, a, a beautiful part of the book is where you're telling the story about how you're selling drugs. You're living in this house where, you know, people are high, you're also high. And then you see Barack Obama walk out there and he's now president of the United States and you're like, oh, I gotta get my shit together. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a powerful moment. How do you even begin that journey? Like what, you it's know, you see Barack Obama, yes, but I mean, it, it, it wasn't easy. No, so for me, it was removing myself from that environment was the first thing. So. I was selling drugs. I moved uh, to Louisiana. My mother moved there after I graduated high school. Right. So I started doing the only thing I really knew how to do, which is working with food. And I just took it one day at a time. And I told myself every year I just wanted to be doing better than I was doing last year. And, you know, 10 years later, here I am sitting across talking to you. So. Yeah, man, you've, you've done an amazing job. <laughs> Especially. Especially in the cooking space, because like it's it's not easy to 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 win an award, you yeah. know, as a chef. It's not easy to be the head chef, yeah. you know, at one of the world's biggest hotels. That is something that you've achieved. Do you look at your life as what got you to this point, or do you think you got to this point despite the life you lived? A little bit of both. You know, I think uh, you you choose your own path most times. Mm -hmm. You know, you you choose how you're going to um, react to a situation. Um, but it, it, it's, it's not easy and you just have to take it one day at a time. You know, when I got the helm of this huge restaurant, I'm gonna be quite honest, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. No clue. Um, but it was the same thing. Okay, we're gonna work on one thing at a time and we're gonna get better at this one dish at a time. Um, and every day we just try to do a little bit better than we did the day before. One of the most fascinating parts of the book is when you talk about raising money to achieve your dreams. Yeah. And now you don't wanna sell drugs anymore, so you decide to go and sell candy on the New York City subway. Yeah. Right, which is harder, selling drugs <laughs> or selling candy on the subway? Because no one pays attention on the train. 
they, they have their challenges. Both of them have their challenges. Yeah. One is extremely more lucrative than the other, um, to be honest with you. I don't know which one, to be honest. <laughs> We're not gonna get into what you was made, sold. Because you made a lot of money selling candy. I did, yeah. You Absolutely. made $20,000 in, in a few months? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just from selling much. candy. What's funny is, I haven't really shared this story. Uh, I did a dinner, I, I did pop-ups around the world, um, and I stopped in Miami. And one of the guys that used to sell drugs for me, he lived in Miami. So I was like, hey, I changed my life around. You got to come to my dinner. And I, I talk about my story. So we're sitting there and I get up and I'm in front of the whole dining room. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I sold candy in order to save up for my catering company. And he never knew this part of me. Right. He was like, ha, candy, yeah, right. Like in the middle of the dinner. I'm like, no, stop, stop. G, stop it. <laughs> um, when you look at young, young people now who may look up to you, I mean, you know, it, it's, 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 no, it's no secret that there are many youths out there who are products of the environment who find the allure of selling drugs or getting into a gang um, really difficult to resist. And you are living a life now which is legal, successful, and inspirational. When young men look at you or when they read your book, what would you hope that they take away from your story? Um, that anything is possible. You know, if you really put your mind to it and you work and you put in the hours um, and you just outwork everyone else, you can, be in, you can be successful in any field you're in. Right. I don't think this book is just for young chefs. I don't think it's for black chefs. I think it's just for, for anyone. Right. You know, anyone to really see that if you really want something, like if you really, really want it, you can achieve it. And that's what I want people to walk away from reading Notes from a Young Black Chef. Oh, man, it's a fascinating book. I hope everybody reads it. Great story to tell. Thank, Thank you so much you. for being on the show. Thank you. Notes from a Young Black Chef is available now. Come on, watch everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.